Welcome to the Holistic Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Blair, wife, mother of three, author of Holistic Wealth, and founder of the Institute on Holistic Wealth. The show will showcase various experts in the key pillars of holistic wealth. Each week, we deliver the best information on how to become holistically wealthy and live your best life. Today, we have a very, very special guest with us. We have Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, and Jackie Lewis uses her gifts as an activist, author, preacher, and theologian to advocate for racial, gender, and economic equality. Jackie has over 30 years of ministry experience and is the first African-American and the first woman to serve as a senior minister in the Collegiate Church in New York. Jackie attended Princeton Theological Seminary and obtained her Master's of Divinity. She has a PhD in psychology and religion from Drew University. She has taught at Princeton, New Brunswick Seminary, Union Theological Seminary, and Drew University. Jackie's books include 10 Essential Strategies for Becoming a Multiracial Congregation, The Power of Stories, You Are So Wonderful, and her newest book, Fierce Love, A Bold Path to a Better Life and a Better World. Her work and ministry have been featured in many outlets, some including The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, The New York Times, and The New York Post. She has also been broadcasted on shows like ABC, NBC, PBS, and CBS. Jackie, welcome to the Holistic Wealth Podcast. It's so great to have you here. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me today. Awesome. So awesome, Jackie. And so you have been rocked by grief and sadness because of a fire that burnt your church exactly one year now. And it's so amazing because on Sunday, you celebrated with your church and the congregation that one year anniversary of that fire that rocked your world. And so, Jackie, I just wanted to ask what that journey has been like. I know the journey of grief and pain and it's, you know, it's, it's such a painful process. But what has that been like? for the last year for you and the congregation. And what did it feel like celebrating the one year anniversary? Yes. Thank you, Keisha. Thank you also for following us. And you are so special to do that. And we've been mesmerized, amazed at how many people have poured out their love and support and kindness and prayers this last year. Yesterday was a very emotional day, but it was It was both so sad to think it's been a full year. Some of our congregants didn't come. I think they tended to their trauma their own ways. But we started at our temporary place, Calvary, 21st and Park. And we did church there. We sang, we, I preached. We left and did a pilgrimage, if you will, to middle. And as we were walking down the street singing, you know, that neighborhood is our neighborhood too, 21st and Park. And we just kind of came further south to what had been our home. And we were singing just as we entered the kind of right across the street place. There was a rainbow in the sky, Keisha. We're so surprised. And so we said to ourselves, look at God producing with us. You know, look at God producing worship with us. We had dancing. We had hugs and hot chocolate. We put mementos on the fence. We did what you do when you're having a wake, where you notice the death, you feel the sorrow, 
You also celebrate the memories. So I watched over there, former elders of the church leaders over there, kids drawing on the paper over their neighbors, a couple of priests who are in our interfaith group. I noticed the sense of everybodyness, people who belong to the church, people who love us in the community, people who organize with us and do justice with us were there. And it was beautiful. And so, you know, blessed are they who mourn, right? For they will be comforted. And we were comforted yesterday. And we lift up our faces also and turn toward the future. We know it's, we don't know exactly what it is. We feel like we're wandering in the wilderness, but we also are clear that God is with us as we wander. That's so amazing, Jackie. I can just feel the love and the passion in your voice, you know, your love for the church, the community, and for its people. And one of the reasons why I was so excited to have you on the Holistic Wealth podcast is that I wrote in my book, Holistic Wealth, you know, in the final chapter of the book, that love is at the epicenter of holistic wealth. And that's why I'm so excited to have you here. And, you know, as you said a while ago in your response, blessed are those who mourn. And I know what it is to go through grief and that period of mourning and of loss. And, you know, even during COVID-19, there's so many people who are grieving. There's so many people in pain and there are just different layers of issues from people suffering from racism, suffering from a job loss, the death of a loved one. And we even have teenagers who are suffering with their mental health. And so there's so many different issues during COVID-19. And so, Jackie, I just want to get into your book with this question. And that's the question of fierce love. What is fierce love and how do we apply it in our communities? How do we apply it with each other in our fellowship with each other? And and how can we apply it in our day to day lives? And especially as we go into a post-pandemic world, how can we apply this concept to have a better world? Thank you for inviting me to speak about that. You know, I've been cooking a book. Uh, this is a, my fourth book, but cooking a book about this idea for many years now, Keisha, maybe, maybe nine, kind of grieving, if you will, grieving toxic politics, grieving seems like permanent nature of racism in America, right? Not, not only anti-Black, but anti-Latinx, anti-Asian, the ways religion is weaponized against six at Oak Creek, right? Against Black Christians at Mother Manuel, how we as Christians have wounded, killed, murdered Jews and Muslims for not being Christian. It just is a kind of professional faith leader who cares about justice, who's a grandmother and a wife and a daughter who grows up black in this nation. My heart just kept cracking wide open. And I thought, what is it that's going to heal us? And I've just began to get clear that my own faith has shifted in these last years from so much faith in the, let's just say the doctrine and the rules and much more about love. I think fierce love is at the root of all the world's major religions. It's fierce, Keisha, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's fierce to think, I'm not going to break anybody else's heart. I'm not going to withhold from you what I need for myself. It's fierce, this philosophy of Ubuntu. A human is a human through other humans. I am inextricably connected to my neighbor, to the stranger, even to the enemy, 
So how do we live that way? And I just felt clear that if we could focus on the basics and it's huge for love, right? It's not wimpy. It's not for the weak. But if we could focus on love together, love of ourselves as a bedrock to have compassion, unconditional regard for ourselves so we can love the parts of ourselves that we think are unlovable. So then we can love the neighbor who we think is unlovable. And then we can turn that love into the world. This, I believe, let me say I'm proselytizing on love, honey. I am saying, let's do love together. So Jackie, that's so amazing. And in your book, you mentioned an incident because there's so many people dealing with racism, as you mentioned, racism in North America and in America in general, where you were so young and in your elementary school, enjoying your environment. And another little girl came up to you and called you the N word, which was so, you know, such a defining moment for you. And I want to hear how you coped with that and using your philosophy in your book, how would you advise parents and how would you advise everyone coping with those issues to move forward? And how do we teach our kids moving forward? Keisha, my, my parents are not perfect people, but they were perfect parents that day. I think they, they taught me something about how we can move through together. And just to say to people who haven't read the book, I tell a story at five of being on an Air Force base in New Hampshire when your parents are in the Air Force, you are too. So we were in the Air Force and I'm the only black kid really in the school. And I have two friends, two Tommies that are two white boys who we walk back and forth from school to home. We take naps together. They're my buds. They're my people. Until Lisa. <laughs> little Miss Lisa comes from Mississippi with her little taught to hate self, right? She didn't born, she wasn't born that way. And stage whispers to one of the Tommies, I can't believe you're sitting next to that nasty N-word. And don't you also know that she gets chocolate milk from her mother's tits? What is happening? You know, I I never heard the N-word. I did not hear the N-word in my house, but I heard it from this white child at this school. And then it's coupled with this kind of sexual, what's a tit? What's a, you know, what's that about? And I was so upset about it. And I went home, my parents, just, I just had a little sister then, we have more siblings now, but I told them at the dinner table about what had happened. And they, mommy said, it's silly that someone would think that they're better than you because you're black, you're, color, you're a Negro, I think she said. Wow, how smart was that? My mom was that, that is just goofy, feel foolish. That's just crazy town, right? That, that's not true. You're, you're our daughter, you're a Lewis and God loves you and we love you. You can do anything you want, be anything you want, anything you want. That was her first response. And the second response was to take me to my knees in prayer, which we did every night by the bed, by the twin bed. And that night we did the Lord, I laid me down to sleep. But I also added, and I will never forget it. God, let it be true that no matter what color someone is, they will feel loved. Can you imagine a child praying that? It was like a premonition of my work I'm going to do in the world, right? My justice work, right? So that's mom. Dad does activist. He does, I'm going to go to the base commander. And he went and he demanded that the father apologize to my dad and the girl apologize to me. So daddy was doing reparations before we were talking about him. <laughs> it's like, uh-uh, we're not out of this. 
So the two of them really put in me and my siblings some skills, I would say, theoethical kind of understanding that all the people, and I forgot to say, P.S., by the way, I had called that girl a cracker. Who knows why I heard that? But my mom said, we don't do that. We're not doing that. So both, we, we have a spiritual responsibility to pray and to partner with God. We have a, a responsibility to be activists for justice in the world and to tell the truth about when things are crazy. I really do think that this is, this whole idea, Keisha, we don't want to have critical race theory in the schools. First of all, it's not in the schools, people. How many times can we say that's a law school curriculum? But of course, we are teaching our children something all the time by what we say, what we don't say, what we do, what we don't do. In another chapter in the book, when I talk about everyday justice, I really am making a litany of what it was like to watch my mother and my father, especially my mom, take the soup, take care for the sick. My dad shovels the neighbor's lawn in the middle of the you know, winter time. This idea of doing something for others. And all the children are watching all of these adults. Your children are watching. Our children are watching us. How do we talk about the news, right, Keisha? How do we do disagreement? And I think about your people and my people and the ways our, think of our, our ancestors as children being traumatized by whipped backs, snatched from parents, or interred in camps, right? Or grabbed off trains and put in gas chambers, or you know, crawling out of sewers to safety, or, or having the Indian, you know, oh my God, we've had such trauma, memes about killing AOC, or the January 6th insurrection, or the shooting of the people in the streets. All of these stories, all of these images are getting in the psyches of our babies. We've got to do better, right? We have to do better. So, Jackie, you're so right. I think this has seeped into the consciousness of our children. And I just wanted to let you know about a recent experience I had with my daughter just yesterday where she heard a song on the radio and it was an upbeat, you know, high tempo song. But it brought back bad memories for her. And when I asked her why, she said, you know, mom, that night that George Floyd died and it was on CNN, that's the song that was playing. And that's the song that I went to bed with. And ever since that time, I've that song has made me so sad. And that really touched me. And it really made me realize what you were saying, that it has affected our children on such a deep level. And so, Jackie, I just wanted to get your views in terms of on the anti-racism movement and what we need to heal going forward. What are your views? And in terms of your philosophy, what should we be doing moving forward collectively through this pandemic? And this is for everyone, not just those who are advocates and anti-racism experts, but for everyone in our communities all around the world. What should we be doing? When I was almost nine and Dr. King was killed, I was traumatized like your little girl, but also then activated. I, I knew then that I, I would have said then, I think I'm supposed to be a drum major for peace. That, that poetry had, had captured my imagination. So here's a few practical things, I think. One is, going back to Ubuntu for just a second, what would happen if we could teach parents, teachers, caregivers, pastors, right, imams, rabbis, spiritual teachers, 
joining with community to say, we're going to have a revolution of values. We're going to teach our children that they are all siblings. They are all siblings. And the way we're going to teach them that is we're going to adopt all these kids as our responsibility. So the kid in Detroit that still doesn't have clean water, right? And the kid at the border sleeping under a foil blanket, the white kid in Appalachia, right? With two pair of underwear, the wealthy kid in Boston, whose parents are wealthy, but never at home and never can take care of them. The indigenous child on the reservation, the right, the uh, sick kid on a farm in California, not parents, not making a living wage. All these children are siblings. We are all comadres, copadres. We're all the parents. We're going to be a village and we're going to raise these kids. We could change the way we think about that. Less individualism and more shared support. Every child gets daycare. Every child gets inoculations, right? Every child gets a living wage. Every child gets shoes and clothing and eyeglasses, for God's sake. Every child gets clean water because we because when your child is hungry, that rich parent thinks they need to make a different policy and vote differently at the polls, right? When, when your grandmother, right? So let's move from the kids to the elders. When your grandmother can't afford her medications, then we have to make sure we think about social safety nets differently. This is the revolution we need, Keisha, where none of us can make it unless all of us make it. So Jackie, that's exactly the concept of holistic wealth. And when I was writing that book and developing the concept, that was in the forefront of my mind. So everyone, you know, in our communities should have equal access to health care, proper health care, equal access to education. The economic inequality that we have now should no longer be there. We should just have equal access to these vital things that we need. And I love something that you said, which is something we all get taught, that we should be our brother's keeper, which is, it's not a revolutionary concept. It's a concept that we actually all get taught. We, we all get caught, taught it. Like, right? So why do we, we forget it? I think there's so much pressure. And we have bought the Kool-Aid. Our people didn't, that's not what happened. And I would say, when you go to South Africa, which by the way, 20 white people to how many black people? I don't know, a thousand? That somehow just the desire, and I'm not an expert on this part, so please, y'all, if you fact check me, just forgive me. But it seems to me that there's a huge lesson to be learned about what happened in South Africa, where the Boers were not really the white Anglo-Saxon wealthy people, right? They were their own kind of oppression. And then they end up oppressing the black people, and then that's not enough. And then they end up needing more and more and they create those laws and they create a theology and they create philosophy. And I mean, it's insane what happened over like a 60, 70 year period. And, and we did that here too, right? We did that here where British people, Anglo-Saxon Brits get on boats to escape quote oppression, class oppression, imperialistic oppression from the monarch. And they come here and then they, steal the land from the people on the land and call it discovery and kidnap the blacks off the shore and enslave them and build a whole democracy, a whole democracy on three fifths of the people, right? On you're not a person and white women don't have any rights except to own slaves. It, it is so endemic of what happens when we're afraid or when we are ourselves 
catastrophically wounded. Wounded people wound people. Hurt people hurt people. And this that we exported white supremacy around the globe, and I'm, by we, I mean American white folk, to Germany, to South Africa. We got to stop it, y'all. We got to, white children have to learn from their parents that they are beautiful and they are special. And so are everybody else's kids. <laughs> you know? so, so, the, so that as the generations grow, we, we raise a generation of children who believe that their survival and their thriving is interdependent. So Jackie, there is a topic I wanted to ask you about because it's such a divisive one in the Christian community. And you've written about it in your book, Fierce Love. And that's the whole issue of the LGBTQ community. Just wanted to get your views on that from a Christian perspective. And of course, you have that philosophy of radical love radical acceptance and it's a divisive topic there's some churches that don't openly welcome the lgbtq community and so i just wanted to get your views on that because we're hearing stories of some young people who are suicidal because of the lack of acceptance um so if you could give us your views that would be that would be great i will i would be so happy to and you know there's a lot of space in and in, in my life where i think well you know, you go ahead and believe that and I'll believe this and let's just agree to disagree. But this idea of human sexuality and this idea of gay and trans is, and this idea of women being second-class citizens, I think it starts there. He says, well, I want to go there. You know, if you, if you end up reading the Bible with a lens of infallible, 100% accuracy, prescription for how to live, right? Not folks wrestling with God and trying to figure it out, but this is it. You read a Genesis text, which we know is a myth, people. Don't let me shock you. There's two Genesis stories. The first one is the sort of seven days creation, six days and seven rest. The second one is in the second chapter, and that's God looks around and hmm, don't see anybody that's good for Adam. The Hadam, the person, let me make someone, right? That story, pulling out of the rib. These two stories are there. That's how you know it's a myth because there's two of them and they're not the same, right? But, the, but they point to like, say, agency and power of God. But if you're going to take something like that and it begins with the woman is the fault, the woman is the problem, therefore causing the man to sin, or the woman is less than the man because God pulled her out of the, and then you build a whole society on second-class citizenship, that's almost laughable. But, it, but then it is the same lens that'll make people read, you know, Adam and Eve and that, Bob and Steve or whatever, or, or, or find six or seven texts that seem to be about same gender loving relationships and might not be, and, and say, this is the whole game, this is everything, and we're going to just focus on gay and as an abomination. Now, the people who be talking about abomination, don't make a theologian talk to you. You're going to sit there and talk about abomination while you eat shrimp cocktail, which you're not supposed to eat, in your mixed fabric, which you're not supposed to wear, with your haircut, which you're not supposed to do, having divorced your wife, right? <laughs> so the, all of these things were, were laws created in, that, in the faith community, given by God, let's say, but to keep a community safe, to keep a, a wandering desert people 
safe from harm. And today, if we read those texts as though we don't understand a context, and then we put gay people out of church, I'm talking about a family who was in for the Bible tells me so one of these beautiful movies made about gay whose son committed suicide because he was gay and they put him through a conversion therapy and he ends up drugging himself to death. Is that what you want parents? Do you want dead kids rather than queer kids? I have strong feelings about that. And I have strong feelings about the same theological construct, which would be that God is the creator. Why, why if God is creator, do we assume God made a mistake? So this is craziness to me that the the places where the theological thing oppresses humans and then wants to be the law of America, like Godus weighing in about women's right to have an abortion. Well, who are you? (laughs) You know, that's not your job. If we're going to love each other fiercely, we have to give each other space to listen for our ethics, to listen for morality. To, to be in our families seeking God's love, I would say, or, or, or seeking spiritual strength. We have to trust people to make the decisions about their sexuality and get out of the bedroom. And instead, let's work against guns and hunger. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, Jackie, you mentioned something very important, a very important topic, and that's critical race theory. And I have strong views on that as well, because... There's so many guns on the street. We're hearing about gun violence a lot with our children, teenagers. And yet still, you know, it seems like as a society, we're okay with that, but not okay in teaching certain topics and teaching critical race theory in schools. And I really want to get your views on that, especially in light of your work being an advocate for anti-racism and, and your work in terms of your philosophy of fierce love. Did you see the Christmas card that the elected made with his family while holding? And, and it's all a piece, right? My colleague, Amanda Hamrick Ashcott, a wonderful white woman from Kentucky. She's preaching this Sunday, a sermon called Wombs, Wounds and Waiting. And just going to really try to talk about white people's responsibility around this abortion conversation, that in fact, this anti-abortion conversation is about controlling bodies and keeping a white world, that the gun laws, the Second Amendment is about having the right to bear arms to hunt Negroes back into slavery. And, and can we together, Black, white, Indigenous, Latinx, Asian, can good people of all ethnicities claim the importance of telling the truth. My book says, if we don't tell the truth, we won't get free. Jimmy Baldwin said, basically, um, we can't change everything, but nothing can be changed if we don't face it. We got to open our eyes, take off the blinders and be honest about who we are. Keisha, so we can get better. So Jackie, it was amazing having you on the show today. I'm sure the audience was blessed. I know I personally was. And your book is so amazing. And it's such a beautiful book. I hope everyone listening gets their copy. Um, It's a beautiful book with a beautiful message that we all need right now in this pandemic and especially going into the new year. And and we all know how to do it, Keisha. That's what I would want to say in closing. Guys, you you know how to do this. If you're standing next to somebody on the corner 
and they step off the curve and are going to be hit by a car, you are going to autonomically reach on their elbow and pull them back. When the waters came at Katrina or Sandy or Hugo, you, we, people waded in the fetid waters. They went to Puerto Rico and got on roofs. And we know how to take care of each other in a crisis. We are not going to let a child starve in our apartment building, right? We know how to do this. And I think if we could just get back to what we know, what we know is being human means to love fiercely, sacrificially, to march for each other's causes, to stand up for what's right, what's just, what's loving, what's fair. And I think I'm kind of counting on us to wake up from the nightmare of hatred and violence and remember how to do love. So, Jackie, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. It was amazing having you here sharing this wonderful message of fierce love. Thank you so much for being on the show. Wherever books are sold, y'all, did you make a good Christmas present? <laughs> okay. Thank you, Keisha, for you and the world and all you do. Okay. I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Holistic Wealth with Keisha Blair. Make sure to visit our website, KeishaBlair.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you will never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Are you a member of the Institute on Holistic Wealth? If not... What are you waiting for? Go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to choose your membership plan and join. As a member, you get so many perks. Free worksheets, advice, coaching, and a member's workshop to design an intentionally designed life. You need to figure out your life purpose? Take the Build Your Life Purpose Portfolio online self-paced course. You're struggling with all your money decisions? Take the free financial identities quiz and then take the course. You recently had a breakup, job loss, or experienced the death of a loved one? Take the holistic healing course. You need an overall plan to achieve holistic wealth? We will help you figure out your holistic wealth blueprint. And of course, if you want to start making money by helping others achieve holistic wealth, become a certified holistic wealth consultant. Regardless of what career you've got, the Institute will show you how to increase your income and walk in your purpose. The sooner you join, the sooner you start to achieve a more holistically wealthy lifestyle. And you're going to want to stay for a very long time. So go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to join. If you haven't read the book yet, pick up a copy of the award-winning, best-selling Holistic Wealth 32 Life Lessons to Help you find purpose, prosperity, and happiness. 